0: great to be worshiping with you guys. And, uh, you know, we have launched a new series last week as we get started in the new year here. And uh, so we're walking through what does it look like to take each step of each day in a super practical way to be able to worship our God, right? The series is called Summit Walk. It's stepping through the various difficulties of life And being able to know how to navigate those so that God might get the greater glory. So that we might be able to truly experience our God in a deep, powerful, passionate way. Each week and each way we're going to be looking uh, as we go through the book of James at various struggles that might be uh, delivered up to us, various uh, challenges along the way. And it's going to be a a step-by-step navigation tool. How do I handle that situation in my life? So last week we were talking about what does it mean to have trials washing on our shore, right? We talked about that word trial. It specifically means those uh, things in this world, this broken world that wash on our shore, not the things we've done wrong, but maybe that somebody else has done wrong, or just this broken world in general washing on our shore. That's a trial, right? If we do it and, uh, and we're experiencing pain from it, that's called a consequence. That's something a little different. And in fact, we're going to be dealing with that today. A little bit of what does it mean to be struggling with temptation and then the consequences of falling into that. Lord, help me step through temptation. So that's what we're stepping into today now. Do me a favor. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 1 and we're going to start in verse 9 as we learn to step through temptation today. This now is that stuff that is kind of Dragging us down, the thing that calls us towards sin. And how do we navigate those waters? What do we need to know about it? Stepping through temptation. Point number one, uh, see your weakness as a blessing that keeps you humble before your God. See your weakness as a blessing that keeps you humble with your God. Make sure that you grasp that every time you're struggling, it's actually a good moment to remind you It's just really not all about me, right? And uh, it's a huge remembrance. And uh, this weakness is a strong part of our walk. He starts in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Let's just hold right there. He's like, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That word lowly brother there also means uh, maybe one who's poor. Poor in spirit, poor in wealth. There's a very specific tie because the next one that's talked about is rich. So this is talking a little bit about maybe not having as many things in this world physically. Wrestling a little bit with the poorer side of life. And he's like, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. When is he going to be exalted in the future in eternity? He's like, hear me, man. If you're walking through this world and you're wrestling and struggling with maybe not having as many possessions, things aren't quite going as well, you could label yourself, I think I'm the lowly brother. I think I'm the one who's wrestling with a little bit of poverty. There's some physical struggles here in this world. Know this. Man, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you believe that he has risen from the dead... If you confess him as Lord, if you are saved, know this. You have an eternity that is going to rock your world. And all of God's people said, Man, the riches of this world don't even begin to compare. Man, please hear me when we get to eternity. There is going to be a celebration of no more pain, no more sorrow. All the riches of the king are yours and mine to be shared out with an inheritance. We have privilege. And all of God's people said, Amen. if you find yourself to be lowly, hang on. Eternity is going to rack your world. He's like, let the lowly brother boast in his future and his exaltation in the greatness of what is coming, and the rich in his humiliation. Now, you might read that and go, what? Like, you're supposed to be able to boast in your humiliation? What does that even mean? I think James agrees with you that it might be a little bit hard to grasp, so he actually starts to explain it right away. He's like, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Let me help you understand. If you're getting all fired up about your riches, if you're like, man, did I rock it in the marketplace this last year and a half. Man, have I been taking it in. Boy, you should see the value of my house now. You should see the number of rental properties I have. You should see what I am amassing to my name and to myself. James is like, "Um, you should see what's coming because that is temporary. All the possessions of this world are temporary. And please hear me. There is a humiliation for all of us coming. What is the humiliation of the rich man? It's the same as the poor man. The humiliation of the rich man, his mortality. Dude, your days are numbered. As you declare out, look how awesome this is that I'm amassing to self. Please know that it isn't very long. And this world comes to an end. And we breathe our last And we are on to eternity. In fact, he's like, let's just make this really clear. Let the one who is poor celebrate that eventually he has Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And let the one who is rich celebrate that he has Jesus Christ for all of eternity. Man, this place is temporary and it is short-lived. Don't be hooking your bragging in this world. Hook it in the next. May God get all the glory. May Jesus Christ truly be celebrated. He's like, let's just make this clear. If you are the brother uh, who is lowly, we'll celebrate that God is going to be lifting you up. If you're the one who's rich, celebrate that this temporary world is coming to a close and there is an eternity to be had with your God. Our mortality keeps us humble. And all of God's people said, man, he's like, whoever you are and wherever you stand, know this, Humiliation comes with it. And I'll just say, it's so easy when you're wrestling with riches to get prideful. And I saw a quote this week by David Rhodes. He said, the danger of pride is that it feeds on success or goodness. The danger of pride is it feeds on goodness or success. Like the risk of pride is things are going really well. And you're like, do you see how awesome this is going? And you start, maybe I am. That good. As things go well, you start thinking a little higher of yourself. That's a risk, man. And he's like, just so you know, rich man, you have the reminder of the humiliation of mortality coming to be able to keep you honest with your God and worshiping and celebrating him. Truly in the end, our celebration is in all that Christ brings in eternity. He says because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Please note, it does not say because like a flower of the grass, his riches will pass away. It's talking about him specifically. Like, dude, you only have so many years to breathe it out on this earth. May we constantly be looking to our God and be grown along the path and get ready for eternity because there is no end to that. Praise be to God. He's like, a hey, rich man, just know there is an end that comes Like the flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower fails and its beauty perishes. He's like, just remember for every April green, there is August brown. You know what I'm saying? That's what he's saying. He's like, just make sure you grasp that the heat of the sun bears down. And there becomes this August brown grass, you know, like when you go take the dog out and it actually hurts if you're not wearing shoes, maybe you're watering your grass so it doesn't hurt you. You're like, dude, use a little water. I believe in letting God water the grass. And when he chooses to let it rain, it rains. And when he chooses to go with brown as the color of the day, then brown is the color of the day, right? And so we go that route at our home and we love what God does with it. And uh, brown's a good color, right? Right? And uh, welcome to August, he's like, and just so you know, uh, the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fails and its beauty perishes. Uh, The days are numbered on the rich, lush green. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. So also will the rich man fade away. Please note again, it's not so also will the rich man's riches fade away. It's talking specifically about the man. The mortality of life, it is short here. But God has eternity managed. Are you leaning on the Lord Jesus Christ? Let him handle your eternity and celebrate that. The rich man in the middle of his pursuits will be breathing his last. Man, know this. God has a plan and God is walking us through towards eternity, and God knows exactly what he's doing. Everybody just say, God is good. Yeah, say it louder, say it bigger. God is good. Man, don't miss it. God is good. May we worship him, and may we celebrate him in all that he gives and all that he brings. God is amazingly good in what he shares out. So, there was a guy named Arnold Palmer. You know that name? Golfer, right? And... Uh, so he was a phenomenal golfer. It was back in 1961. Actually, he was just kind of coming up into his own at that point in time. And uh, he was in the Masters in 1961. And, and uh, he said, I remember that day like nothing else. He was actually doing phenomenally well throughout the weekend. He had been just rocketing it. He was well out ahead of the next closest people, a couple strokes ahead. And as he got to the 17th hole, he had a lot of confidence. Drive was phenomenal, put it out in the fairway. He walks out to the fairway and he's taken off his glove and he's going to grab the next club and he looks over and he sees a friend of his and his friend waves him over and he walks over to the side and his friend reaches out his hand. And he reaches out his hand and the friend goes, you've got this man, way to go, congratulations. And Arnold Palmer, he said, I remember this. I remember reaching out and I shook his hand and in the middle of the shake I went, I should not have done this. And as he shook his hand at the 17th hole saying thank you, he said, I felt the focus leave me. I I felt it. Like right then and there, it was done. I was like, it's over, I won. I walked back to that ball and I pulled out what I needed for my iron and as I hit it, I topped it and I put it into the sand trap. And then I hit that and I went long and then I putted long back and I putted long back again and I could feel it draining away and on the 18th hole, I lost it all. And he said, I'm telling you this, I will never Ever shake someone's hand before it's done. Man, I'm telling you, that's how we need to walk our Christian walk. Don't run around looking to pat yourself on the back and get a shaking of the hand here on earth. Hear me, man. There's a point where we will be at home with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and we will be celebrating all that our God has and will do for us for all of eternity. Our time to shake hands with our Lord and Savior is there and then. May we not be celebrating here and now all that we accomplish. We get too wrapped up in the pride of me and you lose the focus and your worship drops. Simple question. How's your pride? How are you doing at keeping it focused on Jesus Christ and his amazing gift of glory and eternal life? And is your pride in check? Are you celebrating God's future work or your current successes? we're going to tackle temptation, please hear me. First and foremost, we must have our worship locked in, focused, hard, and looking to eternity. And all of God's people said. All right. Point number two, keep your boat upright and your sails set. Keep your boat upright and your sail set. Now, that's a metaphor. We've talked about this a little bit back in January a year ago, and we'll explain the metaphor a little bit more here today. But basically, it's manage the sin that's going on in your life. Manage the temptation and manage it well. Manage it in a way where God is getting the glory. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed that has a sense of happiness or joy to it. It is God's grace pouring into your life. Blessed. God giving you what you don't deserve. God lavishing it on. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Who remains steadfast. Who literally has the pack on the back. Is holding on tight. Remaining solid. Patient. In the middle of the load. And taking it all the way to the end. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast. Or the other word is patient. Remaining under well. Blessed is the one who remains under trial well. That word trial, same meaning as back in verse 2. The brokenness of this world washing on your shore. And as you stand up under under, and you hold on well and you're looking to your God and your legs aren't shaking, you're standing strong and still in him, there is a blessing that comes in that. There is a joy that comes with that as your satisfaction is found in your Savior, not your circumstance. May God get all the glory. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Now, please note, it doesn't say for when he has stood the test, it'll be done here on earth and then then he'll be able to go forward without any more testing. Notice that's not what it says at all. For when he has stood the test, then he's going to receive the crown of life, eternity. I'm just telling you, standing the test, remaining under, stuff washing on your shore will constantly be true this side of heaven. And all of Cat's people said, <laughs> right, that is this is sobering truth that we need to grasp that this world will bring various forms of trials. And God knows exactly what he's doing as he's looking to strengthen you one degree of glory at a time. This side of heaven, God knowing exactly what He's doing as He's walking you through this journey, and when you have stood the test, when you have come to the end of this world, and you're entering into eternity in God's plan for your life, know this: you will receive the crown of life. The crown of life. Now, some will say that this is an actual physical crown you put it on, and uh, and it's about life, and uh, it could be that. Um, There's also another position, I probably go with this other position. The reality is, you are actually putting on something that says, I am with the king. It's a crown, I am with the king, right? But it's more of a metaphor. I am with the king of the universe and his gift to me is eternal life. Please hear me man, when this broken world is done, when you take on eternal life, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more heartache, You are clothing yourselves with this very thing, the crown that declares eternal life. Angels will look on, seeing what is going on in your life, knowing the brokenness that we have been through, the selfishness and the sinfulness, and they will now see eternal life as being what we are clothed with, and they will be in awe. There is going to be something that you and I get to wear forever, and it is the privilege of perfect eternal life. Don't miss it, man. It is a stunning, glorious gift from our God. For those who believe in Jesus Christ, for those who count on him and trust in him as Savior and Lord, if you are saved, know this, you have a crown of life coming. And the eternal life that God gives you will be declaring out forever, I am a child of the King. He is my God. Man, we get the privilege of putting on eternal life. And all of God's people said, and everybody just say this, God is good. Yes. Don't miss it. God is lavishing it on and it lasts into eternity and he's got amazing privilege for us. When we have stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him which God has promised to those who love him. Just so you know, he now is saying, so for the one who stands up under trial, crown of life, and for the one who loves him, crown of life. In essence, he is equating the two. Loving the Lord your God is standing up under trial and being able to say, I will hang with you, Lord. I'm trusting you. I'm counting on you. I'm looking to you and I'm loving you with all I've got. He says, you will receive this crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Uh, Everybody just say, that's saved. Right, to those who love him. To those who are saying, I believe you're risen and I confess you as Lord. I love you. Take over. You're in charge. And there's a crown of life coming. God has promised to those who love him. Then he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. And uh, super important that we grasp the understanding of this word. This word tempt here. It's a word that means that your insides are being pressed to be drawn towards sin. It actually comes from the same kind of word as the word Trial. The word trial is actually used in a way that means the outside is pressing on, and here the word is used to mean the internals are pressing on, pressing you to be drawn towards sin. That's why they use the word temptation. Let no one say when he is tempted, let no one say when he feels that internal banging that says, I should just go sin right now. I'm going to go after this. I'm going to go get that. It's going to taste good. Don't say... I'm being tempted by God. He's like, let me make this clear. God is good. Don't be blaming God for the draw within that is dragging you down towards sin. And may we not say God is the one who's causing this. Um, in fact, scripture's pretty clear. Flash Our internals, right, that whole sea of selfishness inside, that's banging towards self. Come on, man, make it about you. It's going to feel good. Let's go after it. It's going to show you off. Let's do it. The internal sea of selfishness boring down on you. That's what's tempting you. Satan pressing in. Come on. It should be about you getting some recognition. It should be about you feeling good. Those are the temptations we experience. As the flesh presses in, as Satan presses down, the sea of selfishness taking over in our lives. And uh, it says, don't say that God is tempting you. Why? God cannot be tempted with evil. You know that? God can't be tempted with evil. There's never a moment that presses down in God where his flesh takes over and all of a sudden he goes, it would be good to sin. I'm going to do that. That never, ha- everybody say, Not happening. Like, God doesn't collapse down. That's not happening. And he's like, just so you know, God cannot be tempted with evil. He never does wrong, and there is no draw to it. In fact, here's another way to say it. When we define what is good, right, God is good. God doesn't do good things. God is good. The very thing that is good is what God is. And when he's doing it, that defines it as good, and good is defined as him. It's one and the same It's like, just so you know, God is never tempted to do evil. That's the opposite of himself. He never does wrong. It says, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God never enters into your life and pushes down on your soul to try to get you to sin. Everybody say, never. Never. That's not God. 1 Corinthians 10.13 gives you a really clear understanding of God's role when it comes to temptation. It says, there is no temptation taking you but that which is common to man. Just so you know, is there a temptation you wrestle with on a regular basis? Maybe even today as you were coming in, maybe this weekend, maybe you collapse into this temptation on a regular basis. Think through what that temptation for you is. Where do you tend to fall? Okay. Now do me a favor. Just look to your left and look to your right. Look all the way down the row. According to that scripture, somewhere in that row, somebody else is struggling with the exact same thing. There is no temptation taking you but that which is common to man. You are not alone. Please hear me. God knows exactly what we're going through. He said, no temptation has taken you, that which is common to man. But God is faithful. God is what? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you're able. God's role in temptation is limiting it to only what you can handle with the current level of change in your heart that he has given, with the current level of understanding, with the current level of growth and maturity. He will not allow a temptation above that level of ability. Do you get that, man? How often do we say, God's tempting me? And it's the exact opposite. It's God is throttling the temptation to make sure that there can be success. That's the role of your God. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And he will, with that temptation, provide a way to escape that you might be able to bear it. He, only, he gives you a limiter and an exit sign. That's God's job. And all too often we're like, I feel like God's tempting me. No, no. That's the internal self roaring up. That's Satan pushing down. That's me causing that problem in me, not my God. God is good. Everybody say, God is good. Man, don't miss it. It isn't God who's causing the temptation. It's us who's struggling. It says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. This word desire here in the original language, it means very specific, intense want. It's like a craving. There's this internal wanting going on, this desire, and you're lured and enticed by this desire. Man, I'm just telling you, when we end up in various circumstances, whatever they are, All of a sudden, in the midst of those circumstances, it starts causing us to think more about self. And the waves on the sea of selfishness inside of me, this giant sea of me inside, what the Bible calls the flesh, this giant sea of me inside starts getting some roaring waves that are like, I should be thanked more. I should feel better right now. I should be able to taste of that. The waves start getting Bigger, the sea of selfishness starts rising up, and this craving, this desiring in the sea of selfishness starts slamming against the side of our boat. Right? Remember, the boat is like our, our heart, it's our following after God, it's where our worship occurs. The boat is our mind and our heart, all locked in on Him. And the, the waves of the sea of selfishness start slapping against it bigger and larger saying, come on, man, make this about you. That's temptation. It's a drawing and a breaking down from inside. That's temptation. As we begin to have this desire that sounds good. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The waves on the sea of selfishness start rising up. It says, and then desire, when it is conceived... Okay, so now he's going into a metaphor, right? It's like desire when it has its child, and desire when it is conceived, when it is now birthed out, when it's actually come to fruition, you have a real problem. Desire when it is conceived, it brings forth sin. It brings forth sin. And here's the deal, man. Picture it this way. This giant sea of selfishness, right? Remember this illustrate from back a year ago, January giant sea of selfishness, and our boat is floating on top, our heart and mind, we're longing to worship our God. The waves of self start slapping up against, and there's a moment that there's some pressing down on the boat, or maybe the waves are getting too big, and we need to be getting the boat out of there, take the way of escape, right? But the waves are getting big, and all of a sudden the boat dips, and we take on water. That's the exact same metaphor is when it says the desire is conceived. It's when the water of selfishness comes slamming into the boat, comes over the top, dips the boat down, and you take on the water of the sea of selfishness. Man, in that moment, as the selfishness inside is raging, it comes splashing over, we dip down and we take it in. Now that we've taken it in, our mind and our heart begin to agree with it and go, that would be awesome to make it all about me. And sin comes right away. That's where sin comes from. It's when the boat dips and takes on the sea of selfishness. It's when desire is fully conceived. It splashes into the boat and you agree with it and move forward. There's a moment where your mind begins to say, nope, nope, nope. And then it comes spilling in and you go, yeah, why not? And then you go for it. As you've gotten into this new year, we'll go with a light and easy one. As you've gotten into the new year and you're like, that's it, I'm going to manage the desserts. I'm managing them well. I'm going to work out and I'm managing the desserts. Nope. (laughs) Nope. Ah, raisinets look pretty good. Maybe I should have a few, right? Last night, I don't, my wife went over to Kohl's, where was it? Kroger's. She went to Kroger and she picked up some stuff. And uh, one of the things they gave as a gift there was uh, an the gift of a box of Raisinets. I don't even like Raisinets that much, but I'm sitting here watching the football game yesterday and now there's all this chocolate sitting there. I can't tell you, at least two or three times I picked up the box. Like, I'm gonna actually start unwrapping it. And I'm like, forget this, man. I put it away, I ended up setting it aside three times. I did not so far eat the Raisinets. And all of God's people said right? I'm just telling you, man, this is what starts happening. You start getting this pushing inside. Come on, why not? And you're like, yeah, maybe I should. You start picking it up. You're looking it over. Or maybe it could be good. To and then all of a sudden at once you make the decision, it splashes in, boat goes down. That's what it looks like to take on this desire. Know this temptation is when the sea of selfishness inside of you is slamming up against the boat all the harder. And then when It conceives, it's taking on water in the boat and you begin to lose. It says, desire when it is conceived, uh, truly taking on the water of selfishness, gives birth to sin. Uh, Literally, the next step after you've agreed with those desires is to go do those desires, whether it be in thought or deed, to act it out. And uh, I just wrote this down. Uh, Here's our number one problem with sin. Make sure we have a definition to it. Sin, it's a taste where it should be none. It's a binge where it should be some. Sin, it's a taste where it should be none. A taste where it should be none. A binge where it should be some. The reality is all too often we go after something we know we should have none of. Right, and maybe maybe we're in a different spot where we are allowed to have some, like food and drink, and having some makes sense. But then we have too much in just the wrong way. We binge it in, and we're having way too much in the moment, and it's going to sin again because of just the amount and the timing. And please note this: often, often, temptation is sourced in a right desire that's gotten too big for itself. Right? It's not wrong to want food. It's not wrong to want water. It's not wrong to, if you're in the marriage environment to be having a sexual involvement. Make sure that you know and understand the rightness of the when and the where and the how much and then measure it against this. Am I tasting when I should have had none? Am I binging where I should have just had some? Most of the time, that's the trick to temptation. It's figuring out the amount and the timing. May God get the glory, okay? It says, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Literally, at the end of our lives, if we walk away and we make it all about self and we just live for self, then in the end, there is eternal separation from our God to live in sin, and to forget what Christ says, and to not care about trying to get those things cleared up, to not say, Lord, please forgive me, to just constantly bask in it, bring it in, to taste where I should have had none, to binge where I should have only had some, and just keep going on that sin, and I don't care about it, and I won't confess it. Man, I'm just telling you, please hear me. Scripture's super clear on this. That's, that's not saved. Saved is, Lord, I am wrestling regularly with this. There's things I'm giving over to you. I long to see victory in it. I recognize it's wrong. Please forgive me. It is repeatedly coming back to, Lord, please forgive me. There is a battle of, Lord, please forgive me. He's like, I'm just telling you, for those who just allow the boat to capsize in the sea of selfishness and just live it, Dude, that's not saved. And the sacrifice there is Death. Eternal separation from God it is a vicious, harsh moment. Please don't hear the other way now. It's so easy to hear that and go, oh, okay, so now I, it's all about my works. It's not, but we better be careful because we do have to make sure that our faith is on fire for Jesus Christ and that we're longing to confess and hand things over. May God get the glory, okay? So, adrift on the sea of selfishness, Uh, This is some imageries we've talked about before. So let's just throw this picture up. Uh, It's this slide with two pics on it. Let's just kind of remind ourselves. So the boat on the left, remember that pic that we brought out, right? This is the guy who's been somewhere in the past, thought he was battling it a little bit in some way, and then just allowed everything to flood over the top. The sea of selfishness came in. He took all the self in and it flooded down. He's sitting there saying, no worries, man. It's no problem. I just want to feel this. I'm going after this. And the boat is completely capsized out. Man, are you living life looking like the boat on the left? Where the selfishness just rules you and the boat is buried under. This is what he calls desire that has conceived. It looks like that. And then on the other side, that's a boat that is battling the sea of selfishness. This is what the Christian walk looks like. Know this, man. You will have a sea of selfishness that bangs inside and says, It should be about you. That's called the flesh. It'll slap up against the boat. Our job is to be able to say, Lord God, I understand that this is a temptation of my own self banging on, but you, you're not letting it be too much and you're giving me the way to escape. Lord, I long to stay away from this sin. Notice the boat. The sail is set. It's clipping across the top. The waves are massive. There are things going on. The selfishness is banging, but the boat is staying afloat with no water in. That's the battle of temptation. Lord God, may I recognize that there will be wants and desires banging inside. It does not mean I have to answer them. You are allowing me to never be tempted beyond that I'm able. And you're pointing the way of escape. And all of God's people said, which boat are you? Where are you at in your walk with your God? Man, as we start out 2020, let's say, Lord God, I long for the temptations, the sea of selfishness to just smack against the boat and do nothing else. May my boat stay upright. May you get all the glory. I will never blame you for the temptation coming. And I long to not respond. God is good. Everybody say, God is good. good. May we lean on him. May we celebrate him. May we worship him in our journey. Point number three. Live thankfully, knowing everything good is from God. Live thankfully, knowing everything good is from God. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He's like, look, we're talking about temptation. Don't kid yourself, man. Don't joke yourself. If you're feeling the temptation, and you're like, why is God doing this to me? No, you're going the wrong direction. Don't blame God for the temptation. He's like, do not deceive yourselves, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Every good gift. How many good gifts? Don't miss it, man. Every single thing that's good. Go back to verse two, and it says, you're starting in the run there. It says, "Count it all joy when you fall into various trials." Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works, patience or steadfastness. And he's like, "And when you have endured, you will be made perfect and complete. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. That is God at work in your soul. One degree of glory at a time. Please hear me. Your God gives everything good. Everything that he gives is good. Never once does God give a gift and it's one of those Christmas gifts where you're like, oh, great. (laughs) Never. God rocks your world constantly with good and perfect Gifts. And uh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. God the Father pouring it on. It says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Malachi 3:6 says, I am the Lord your God. I change not. There is no changing in God. There isn't a moment where God is headed one direction and then he goes, Ah, oh, never mind. I've changed what I want to be about. I've changed what I'm going to define as good. I've changed how I'm going to love you. I've Never happens. I am the Lord your God. I change not. There is no changing in your God. He is constantly pouring on good gifts. Simple question. As you're walking through this journey in this life, are you more skilled at seeing what you think is broken or are you more skilled at seeing what you think is good and perfect from your God? It is so easy for us to start saying, well, that's bad. Well, this is dumb. Well, that shouldn't be that way. What's up with that? And we start to become an expert of what is broken and bad. And I'm telling you, your worship will count on you being thankful, you being actually very skilled at saying, that is good, that is perfect, that is from God, that is amazing. The more you can recognize the good things from your God, the more your worship will be on fire. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He's like, let me make this clear. We are saved because of his goodness. We have hope because of his perfection. We have life because of what he's doing in us. He brings us the word of truth. He brings us the hope that is Jesus Christ. Him died, risen, and he is our glory. We lean on him. Know this man, your God is good. Know this man, in the midst of this world, he has amazing grace that he pours on and he changes our lives. Satan whispers in, that is God wrecking you with temptation know this, we need to be able to set that down and say, nope, that is me and my desires bringing the temptation. My God brings good. I will not listen to that ridiculousness. My God is awesome. My God is perfect. My God does not change. I lean on him. And all of God's people said, man, don't miss it. It's a huge deal for us to worship him. It says, of his own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, of his own will. Everybody say God has a plan and you can't get around it. God knows exactly what he's doing. He loves you with all he's got. He's limiting the amount of pressure down on your soul. He's giving you an exit. Know this, the sea of selfishness will bang against the side of your boat. Look for the exit. Look to get out. Look to be able to make much of your God along the way. He has a plan and he's growing you one degree of glory at a time. It says that his will being brought to us in the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We have the privilege of putting on display the goodness of God. You do. Your God loves you so much that he said, will you for me be a first fruits Will you echo my goodness into this world so that all other creation can see what's happening in you and be in awe of me? Are you willing to be a representative of the king, a firstfruits among all of creation, pointing to the goodness and the glory of God Almighty? Are you in? Man, I'm telling you all too often, when we start out our journey each day, we start out saying, it needs to be more about me. We fill it in with that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and it distracts us away from the greatness and the goodness of God. If you want to stand up under temptation, know this, it is a sea of selfishness inside banging against the boat. It is a war on the insides and God is giving you ways to escape. And he's allowing for you to be able to be transformed one degree of glory to the next so that you can be a firstfruits among his creation, pointing to the glory and the greatness of God. God is good. Everybody just say, God is good. I'm just going to ask you to do this. Say it really loud. Say, God is good really loud. I'm going to read a word. You say, God is good. All right? You ready? Uh, let's do one for example. We are blessed. All right, you guys got it. Here we go. We are blessed. We are healed. We are saved. We are filled. We are favored. We are anointed. We have eternity with our God. May we worship him with all we've got. Your temptation will fall aside like you would not believe. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Let's pray.